Have any of you guys ever done an escape room before? I feel like they're kind of, they've kind of been sweeping the nation for like the last 10 years. They've kind of been trending. I mean, there's a place here in Columbus that is an escape room. There's a bunch up in Indy. There's a bunch down in Louisville as well. And if you haven't done one before, there are these themed rooms where you work as a team to, well, escape. You've got a set amount of time. You pay good money for somebody to lock you in a room. And then you use clues and puzzles to get out of that room. And there's all kinds of different themes. I've done one uh, that was a science lab and you had to figure out the chemical formula. And then once you did, they unlocked the room. You're fully unlocked the whole time. That would be a fire hazard. Uh, But the other one I did was Murder on the Orient Express. And you are racing down the hill on the Orient Express train. You're in a room, in an escape room. And you have to work to figure out who done it before time runs out. And then they let you out of the room. And there's hundreds and thousands of different escape room themes. But no matter what the theme is, Uh, There's two things that always seem to happen. Number one uh, is that your family or your team is going to be so stressed out in that 45 minutes. Uh, I don't know if you've seen the original Avengers movie. Uh, There's a scene at the end of the movie, the end credits. They're sitting in a shawarma shop. Uh, There it is. Uh, Nobody's talking to anyone because you just, like, worked to save New York City for the last 45 minutes. Um, that's how I felt at the end of it with my family. Like you're just sitting in silence, staring at everyone asking, why didn't you listen to me when I said this is where the key was? Is that too specific? No? Okay. Just me. The other thing that always happens is that there's this guide or this game master is what they usually call them. And that person is there to help you get free. So you get stuck or you don't know how to solve a clue or you've kind of worked yourself into a corner. This game master can pop in with hints to get you kind of back on the right direction. And I cannot begin to tell you how many times my teams have used the hints. They're very helpful. You get stuck trying to locate a key. You can be like, hey, game master, where's the key? And they might help you. Or you're supposed to find some sort of decryptor to decrypt some code, but you can't find the decryptor. The game master might get over the little intercom and be like, um, you have to find the decryptor first. And you're like, yeah, I was working on it. Obviously, I didn't need you. You do. You need them every time. Uh, But you think you're doing the right thing or working on the right thing, but it turns out what you're working on isn't actually getting you any closer to freedom. And that's where that game master comes in. Now, we're in a series right now called Galatians, Freedom, and Jesus, and we've been looking at the Apostle Paul's letters to the people of Galatia. And throughout the book, in many ways, Paul is this sort of game master to the people of Galatia. They think they're doing what's right, they think they're serving the Lord, but it turns out they've got a lot of it wrong. And over the past few weeks, We've heard about how the Galatians are twisting the truth, or they're running to these false teachings, and they're confused about how the religious laws from the Old Testament fit into their lives now that Jesus has returned. And Paul has to keep redirecting them back and redirecting them back to what's right. And so we get to the last two chapters, which we're looking at this week and next week, and we're going to find the same pattern. Spoiler alert there. The people of Galatia, they're on one path. The game master, Paul, uh, lets them know that it's the wrong path, and then he tells them how to get back on the right path. So chapter 5 starts out with Paul once again calling them out for becoming slaves to the law, or followers of the laws rather than followers of Jesus. Adam talked about this a few weeks ago, about how they were following the laws regarding circumcision, and Paul actually talks about that in here again, how they're using circumcision to define whether somebody's a follower of Jesus or not. They're following all these laws from the Old Testament, but now that Jesus has come, 
he's reminding them, Paul's reminding them that their salvation and their eternity in heaven comes from faith alone. So the Galatians keep getting pulled back to these laws by these teachers, these false teachers who claim that they're helping the Galatians. Have you been in a place like that? Have you been hurt or affected by somebody that said they had your best interest at heart? I'm guessing the answer is yes. Someone who says they're helping but actually is leading you in an unhealthy or unnecessary direction. Maybe a significant other says they want what's best for both of you, but it turns out they're doing what's best for them. Maybe a boss tells you something with the promise of a job boost or a raise, but it turns out they're really helping themselves get towards a promotion. That hurt, that double-sidedness is some of what the Galatians were experiencing as well. And side note, if you're here and you're watching online and you've been hurt by people within the church who claim that they're trying to help, but really they have false motives or they're twisting the truth, we want you to know that you're seen and we're sorry for that hurt and we want to help you process through that. We know we're not perfect, but we want to do our best to be real with you and help you through that as well. And we know that this kind of relationship or these interactions, they can hurt. And just like these false motives were destructive and painful in our lives, they were destructive and painful in Galatia as well. This is Paul's uh, warning in chapter 5, verse 15. He says, But if you are always biting and devouring one another, watch out. Beware of destroying one another. I love this visual just because it's so physical and it's a reminder that words are just as destructive as physical actions. I mean, I hear that, I'm picturing walking dead, like biting, devouring, like zombie level. It's intense, right? And it's a great reminder that our words and actions and our interactions, they can hurt. Have you had someone say something hurtful that stuck with you? I know I have. Somebody that's close to me said something in passing years ago, and I still think about that on a regular basis. And I know I've said stuff to people close to me that have hurt them too. And these words and interactions and actions, they can hurt, and it was a reminder that the Galatians needed, and it's a reminder that we still need today. So what do they do with that? What do we do with that? Does Paul just leave them with that and say, uh, please stop destroying one another. Okay, thank you so much. Have a good one. Talk soon. Take care. I won't keep you. Does the Midwest goodbye and heads out? No, luckily he goes on. I mean, that would be about as helpful as if uh, you're trying to lose weight and someone's like, just stop eating junk food. Like, thank you so much for that very practical, helpful advice. Or if you're someone who deals with depression or anxiety, you've probably heard the classic, uh, just stop worrying. Or why don't you just try to be happy? Cured. Thank you so much. I am cured. That was all it took. Thank you so much. No, that's not helpful. And luckily, Paul didn't leave it that way either. Uh, he, he goes on. He's the game master. Remember, he's going to help us, like an escape room, he's going to help us get back on the right direction when we're headed in the wrong direction. And here's the practical advice he goes on to say in the very next verse. This is verse 16. So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the spirit wants. And notice Paul's referring to the sinful nature here. What does he mean by that? Uh, Some translations of the Bible actually say acts of the flesh, or things that are not of God. They're things that are of us, or of human nature, human tendencies. And Paul actually lists some of these things that are a result of us following our own desires. This is what he says in verse 19. 
These are things like idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these, etc., etc. I like to think that maybe um, Paul was just kind of listing everything ever, and the Holy Spirit was like, hey, Paul, like... Let's chill on listing. Let's narrow it down to like 12 things. That would be great. But remember, I mean, this was written 2,000 years ago. I feel like this is just as applicable to us today. There are things we still do, right? I probably did three of these on my drive-in this morning. Let's see. Not, Not sorcery, not drunkenness. I was listening to Taylor Swift, so wild parties were happening in the drive in this morning. But let's be real. I mean, don't think about too hard which ones are you or which ones are me. But as we look at this list, we see these acts of flesh. Paul is giving just as much of a warning to us as he was to the Galatians. That how we act or what we do or how we hurt others when we live by our desires, not God. All these things on this list can hurt. They can hurt others. They can hurt ourselves. I mean, quarreling, fighting with your husband or wife, that can hurt a marriage, right? Outbursts of anger, parents, that hurts how your kids learn to cope with strong negative feelings if they see that. Idolatry or selfish ambition, that's seeing ourselves as more important than others, and it can hurt how we relate to or empathize with one another. It can hurt how we see God if we see ourselves as more important than him. Drunkenness, wild parties, those are things that can literally physically hurt a perfect stranger and their friends and their families. They're not just bad things. They're painful things. Super hope-filled, right? But back to our game master, Paul. He redirects us. He gives us our clue and reminds us that there's a better way, like an infomercial. There's gotta be a better way. There is a better way, and we're gonna hear that. Paul, we're gonna jump all the way back to what he says at the beginning of chapter five. This is verse one. This is right at the start. So Christ has truly set us free. Now make sure that you stay free and don't get tied up again in slavery to the law. So he starts there. He goes on to tell us what happens if we get tied up in slavery to the law. He tells us about what happens if we live according to acts of the flesh and how we bite and devour one another. And now he's going to walk us through what happens when we are set free and stay free through Christ. And here's the money and what Paul's going to say next. This is actually our bottom line for today. Because of Jesus, we are freed to live. There's freedom from those sinful desires. There's hope that we don't have to live in those things that can destroy and devour. Paul goes on to tell us that there's freedom that comes from the Holy Spirit and comes through the Holy Spirit. And so he contrasts those acts of the flesh with what he calls fruits of the Spirit. This is what he says starting in verse 22. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. So finally, here's the positive, right? Here's the breath of fresh air. Here's the hope that we can find in freedom through Christ. And like he says, there's no law against these things. These are the kind of things we want in our lives, right? We want to show love and kindness, We want to do good and be faithful. We want to practice patience and self-control. These are the positives. Like, there's actually children's songs about it. We learned one when I was a kid. Uh, It went, uh, but the fruit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. As far as I know, 
Uh, there's no song that goes, the acts of the flesh are idolatry and sorcery, hostility and quarreling, jealousy and outbursts of anger. No, I don't think that exists. There's probably some country song that covers all those bases. But the hope, the joy, the positivity that comes from these things that the Holy Spirit produces in our lives when we're set free through him. They're not things that come from the flesh. They're not things that are of us. They come from the Spirit. These fruits, these ways of living, these actions that help ourselves and others versus destroying others are the product of being guided by the Holy Spirit or by God and by God alone. I mean, we want to see these fruits in our lives, right? We want to show love and kindness to a neighbor. We want to live a life of joy and see the positives in life versus the negatives. We want to practice self-control instead of that drunkenness we saw in the acts of the flesh list. We want to be faithful and good and patient, etc., etc. So how do we produce these fruits in our lives? Or rather, how does God produce these fruits in our lives? How do we show love, kindness, and goodness? How do we live a life of peace and patience? How do we have real joy? How do we practice self-control? Well, all these fruits can be produced because of a solid fruit tree. We can't just say we want God to produce these in our lives and not put it into practice. And hear me here, I'm not saying that we can do good and then be saved because of what we've done. We've talked about that throughout this series as well, that putting these into practice isn't what saves us, but it's what helps us live a life that honors God. It's kind of how we partner with God and what he's already doing in our lives. Because even the best placed seed in the best ground, it doesn't flourish without God. We've got tons of farmers in our community and in our church family. And I've talked to some that pray during planting and during harvest because they know that even with their best processes in place, it's still in God's hands, right? And he allows us to be a part of the process. So how do we partner with God in this? How do we live in the spirit rather than live according to the law? How does the Spirit ensure that there's life in our branches in order for fruit to grow in our lives? I'm going to keep the fruit metaphor alive all morning, just a warning. And I'm going to say, here, here is a, here's how we live in the freedom that we get from the Spirit. Number one is establish roots. And number two is stay hydrated. So the first one, how do we establish roots? How do we start the process of growing in our relationship with God? I have a garden in my backyard, my roommate and I do, and we've got some garden beds, like raised garden beds. Um, And in the past, I've planted tomatoes in one of my garden beds. And no matter what, no matter how many tomato plants I plant in there, um, they take over the entire garden bed. Like, I planted four plants in there first year, they took over. Two the next year, they took over. One the next year, took over. And so this year, I had the great idea to just plant my tomato plant in this, like, big pot I have on my back patio. Uh, plant died almost instantly. (laughs) Like, it did not make it probably a week. What was the difference there? I mean, I watered it. I used the same soil. I probably took better care of it on the back patio than when it was over in the garden bed. But the tomato plant did not have the ability to establish roots. Establishing roots for us as people means setting a foundation in our relationship with God. So how do we do that? What does that mean? For some, it may mean by starting with committing your life to Jesus. It can be a simple prayer that's just between you and God saying something like, God, I know I've sinned. I want to know you and I want you to come into my life. Thank you for sending your son to die on the cross for my sins. I'm giving my life to you. Amen. 
And maybe you've already prayed that prayer, but you haven't really meant it, or you don't feel like you've really lived that out. Establishing roots for us means that you have to mean it, and it's not just some one-and-done prayer. It's going from there, and it's following Jesus in every area of our lives. It's choosing to live a life of surrender. We may have been going to church our whole lives, but if we've never surrendered or set a foundation, we've never put down that dirt and planted that seed, we're not going to see those fruits. So you can ask God this, is there an area of my life that you don't lead? That's a simple prayer you can pray. God, will you reveal an area in my life that I'm not letting you lead currently? And be ready for an answer because God's not going to be like, no, you're good. Like, you're fine. You're, you're good. No, be listening for an answer. I know there's areas in my life that I have to keep uh, surrendering to God and keep asking him to lead. For me, um, in the season of life I'm in, it's my time, whether that's how I spend my time or relying on God's timing rather than my own. That's something I have to keep surrendering. And if you need help determining what that looks like in your life, we would love to help you with that. So if you're watching online, send us a message wherever you're watching, and we'll reach out to you this week to start that conversation. If you're here in person, we always have people up front at the end of the service that would love to talk with you, pray with you, and help you take those next steps as well. Because surrender is a big step, and we want to be a part of that with you. So now we've established roots. We're good to go. We're not good to go. No, there's more to do. And that's that's something called staying hydrated. We have to stay hydrated. Got to get our electrolytes, our enrichment time in the sun. We got to keep drinking it in, right? You know, just praying that prayer once or surrendering once or listening to a message one time, that's not how we're going to get bigger and stronger. We're a plant, metaphorically. We're metaphorically a plant, as far as I know. We have to stay hydrated, and just like you can't water a plant once and expect it to stay alive and grow, and trust me, I've done my research. I've killed many a plant by forgetting the watering process. But you have to keep keep nurturing and, and staying watered. One of our values here at the Ridge is that we relentlessly pursue next steps, and that's exactly what it looks like to stay hydrated. It, it means in order to grow or to stay hydrated that there are next steps to take and next steps to grow in our relationship with Christ. And these next steps are ones that we have to continue to take. And just like establishing roots, these are going to look different for everyone depending on the person. And as you're looking to grow or how to stay hydrated, we have something available called a spiritual growth assessment that can help you figure out where to grow next. So if you're here in person, the QR codes on the seat backs will get you there. There's a link in there that says spiritual growth assessment. If you're watching online, we drop that in the comments. You can click on the link tree link, and then there's one in there called spiritual growth assessment as well. And we recommend printing that out, filling it out, taking a look at what areas could use some growth in your life. And don't panic, this isn't us asking you to take some tests so we have any sort of research or data or anything like that. There's not a pass-fail on this or anything. What it's going to do is it'll walk you through questions about your faith, about your relationship with God, about how you feel closer to God or how you do with serving others or talking about Jesus. It'll say some statements, and then you get to rate yourself on a scale of 1 to 5, 1 being Uh, never, or I rarely do this, to five, which is always, or I'm consistently doing this. So some of those statements that you're going to see on there, that you're ranking yourself one to five, are statements like, when making choices, I seek God's guidance first. I regularly, I cannot say that word, regularly read and study my Bible. I trust God to answer when I pray, and I wait patiently on his timing. I share my faith in Christ with those who don't know God. 
And you get to rank yourself. You get to be 100% honest with your answers because, again, this is just for you and to help you with your next steps. So once you've answered and scored yourself, the assessment kind of has you map out your scores, and then it shows you which categories could use the most growth in your life. And then depending on which areas can use growth, there's actually some practical next steps at the end of that that can help you depending on what the next step looks like for you. If you've ever done a soil sample test, it's where you take a piece of soil and you take it and study it and see kind of what needs to be added to the soil, stuff like nutrients. Um, so think of this as like a soil sample for your life. Yeah, I'm running, I'm running home with the gardening metaphor today. But you're going to enter what's going on in your life, and this kind of helps you determine what could be added to the mix. And I recommend everyone take this, uh, no matter if you've been a believer for a long time or you're just starting to figure out what this journey of faith looks like, or even if you're not sure what you believe, this is a great kind of baseline assessment. I took this a few years back now, and when I did, I scored the lowest in spending time in the Bible, meaning that that's the area I needed to grow the most. And so last year, I actually read through the entire Bible in order for the first time. And for me, that wasn't just to check off a box and say, okay, now I've read the Bible in the Bible order for the first time. But for me, it was just an opportunity to take a next step in following Jesus. And then I retook the assessment earlier this year. We did a series called Why Church, and you might have been in a small group for that and taken this assessment as well. But I retook it because, remember, growth isn't one and done. Like I said, our value is we relentlessly pursue next steps, which means we keep taking next steps. It's not just you take a step one time and you're good. It's never done. So I took it again, and when I took it again, my results showed a better score in time spent in my Bible. No surprise there, but this time the results showed that I needed to grow in my prayer life. So that's kind of where I've been spending my time growing. I I scroll TikTok a lot, like more than I should probably admit. Um, And the app has this feature where after you've been in the app for so much time, it like pops up and makes you put in a password. And I know it's so that like parents can control their teens like screen time and stuff. Turns out just as helpful uh, for a 30-year-old with no self-control on social media. So I've been using it. I have that set. I have my own password. But when that pops up and tells me I've been on there too much, I use it as a moment to kind of pause, take a minute, talk to God, tell him what I'm thankful for, I bring prayer requests to him, and I just use it as a moment to pause and talk to, talk to God. And like I said, next steps can look like many things for many people. Maybe you're like me and time spent in the Bible or taking time to pray. That's the next step for you. Maybe for you, it's growing and serving others or caring for others. Maybe it's learning how to share your faith with others for the first time. No matter what it is, I really recommend scanning that QR code or clicking that link, taking that assessment to see what area could use some work. And then definitely check out those next steps at the end of it. They're going to help you kind of see what staying hydrated can look like in your life. And even if you've done this before or something like this before, do it again because, like I said, next steps change. And this is a great way to find out what a next step can look like in your life in this season. So how's the spirit leading in your life today? Are you establishing roots, setting that foundation in your relationship with Jesus? Are you staying hydrated and asking God to help you with one of those next steps in your spiritual growth? Are you asking him to guide you through both of those pieces and then allowing him to work and guide and lead in that? Paul gives us all kinds of hope throughout this chapter, which means there's all kinds of hope for our lives as well in this. We don't have to be stuck in our sinful nature 
because we've been called to be free and not live according to our sinful nature or live according to those acts of the flesh that Paul talked about. We're free to live according to those fruits, that love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, and I'm not going to sing it again, but we're called to love God and grow in our faith through those fruits. We don't have to be tied down by the laws or even by our own acts of the flesh. We don't have to be tied down because we've been set free through Jesus. And that's exactly how Paul concludes this chapter. This is Galatians 5. This is 24 and 25 at the very end. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. Paul finishes this chapter by reminding us to nail these passions and desires of our sinful nature, a.k.a. those acts of the flesh from earlier. He reminds us to nail them to the cross. So... What does that represent for you? What do you need to nail to the cross? What sinful desire or nature or passion do you need to nail there? Is it a bad habit? Nail that to the cross. Is it how you react to certain people or certain situations? Nail that to the cross. Is it running towards anger or hatred instead of love or joy? Nail that to the cross. Is it selfish ambition and thinking your way or your timing is better than his? Nail that to the cross. Nailing something to the cross means surrendering it. It's that step we talked about. And telling God that you know that's not how we're called to live. It's asking him to guide you. And it's taking next steps to work towards a life that shows the fruit of the spirit rather than the sinful nature and the sinful desires we lean towards. And in that verse, what Paul is referring to is Jesus dying on the cross. He's using Jesus' physical death on the cross to represent us metaphorically nailing that there. And when Jesus died on the cross, his death represented dying for all of our sins, which is the ultimate symbol of our freedom through him. When he died, he changed the way because before him, these laws and these rules did dictate our salvation. But Jesus' death, it changed the way. We're no longer separated from God, but instead we now have a path to him through Jesus. And his death symbolizes that. And so all these years later, we remember that sacrifice through something we call communion. And it's something Jesus did with his disciples the night before he died. And it's something we still do today as a way to stay hydrated and take a next step in growing in our relationship with him. So when we take communion, there's two pieces. There's the cracker or the bread, which represents Jesus's body. And that's broken for us on the cross. And then there's the juice or the wine, which represents his blood shed for us. And right now we're going to have the opportunity to take communion together. If you're here in person, you'll find those in the seats in front of you. Or if you're in the front row, they're by the chair leg. If you're watching online, uh, you can pause this and come back to it. All you need is bread or cracker or something you can eat to represent his body. And then juice or something you can drink to represent his blood. So right now... Let's take that cracker as we remember and thank him for dying on the cross to set us free. And now let's drink the juice to represent his blood that was poured out for us on that day. I'd like to pray for us. God, thank you so much um, for the reminder 
through the Bible, through people like Paul who remind us the same things that that the Galatians needed to hear then, that we need to hear now, just that there is freedom and that comes through through salvation and through Jesus. And we, we're thankful for that reminder as we take communion and as we continue to sing and we listen to the words of this song and how they tell the story of, of Jesus' death and that we get to celebrate and also remember that all this time later. We, we ask for your guidance as we, as we continue to surrender or as we start to surrender. We just ask for you to reveal those areas in our lives where we can use growth. And we ask for your help in, in determining what next steps look like for each of us personally. We just ask that we keep our eyes on you through that, that we remember you, we remember your son, and we celebrate the hope that comes through that. We love you. We're thankful for you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.